Again, free thinkers, and welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. So, our guest today, guys, was long in the making, but certainly did not disappoint. Today, we talked to none other than popular social media personality, musician, and now author, the philosopher. It was definitely a fun conversation, and it's been a while since Matt and myself have laughed this much during an interview. Now, we talked about quite a few topics in this episode, including the new libertarian president in Argentina, Javier Malay. We also discussed Ben Shapiro's recent stint at rapping, which opened the door to talking about gangster rap. And as you'll hear me fawning, we also talked quite a bit about my two favorite topics, economics and philosophy. I mean, hey, what did you expect? We're talking to the philosopher here, right? So buckle up, free thinkers. This conversation was one for the books. Here's our interview with the one and only, the philosopher. Hey, Fa, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason and Matt. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like I say this too often, but this episode with you as a guest is a long time in the making, and we've been talking about having you on the show for, I don't know, at least a couple of years now. And of course, you know, there was a little miscommunication a couple weeks ago, and, and yesterday we were supposed to be on the interview with, with us, but my kids were sick, so I, now I'm sick, of course, you know, so if, if I sound a little a little off today. If I sound a little off, that's why, you know, um, but we're definitely glad to have you on the show. Uh, there's a lot to talk about right now. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping we could get into some news, some cultural issues. And of course, you know, I want to talk about your work as a, a social media commentator, uh, as a rapper slash musician, and <laughs> of course, as a, a digital philosopher on the interwebs. Now, you have a, a huge Facebook presence of 116,000 followers. Uh, your YouTube channel has 29.6 thousand followers. Your husband, Jack, is a frequent guest on this show. And uh, both of you guys create liberty-based music and music videos, uh, several of which have gone viral. And of course, you guys even released a new book, which I wanted to talk about today. Uh, but first, I, I wanted to talk about one of your more recent videos that you've released, which uh, isn't a music video, right? But it, it's a video about uh, the economic theory behind the myth of price gouging. And, you know, price gouging is this kind of loaded topic. You know, we, we see this terminology surface quite a bit uh, during the COVID years. And we see it anytime there's a big natural disaster or world event. Uh, and it's also often attached to big pharma and, and prescription drugs. But I know you just did a, a video on this, and it's a topic that's kind of important to me because I feel like people need to understand economics a little better. So 
Can you give our listeners a brief summary why this, you know, suedo economic platitude is invalid and actually hurts consumers? Yeah, definitely. Um, so thanks so much for that introduction, by the way, that was nice summary. And yeah, my husband, Jack is on your show quite a bit and, uh, <laughs> really enjoys hanging out with you guys. So thanks for having him on. And thanks for having me on. I know it's been a couple years since we've been trying to get this down. I've uh, been quite busy. <laughs> um, but yeah, still have been making videos every month. And the most recent one, as you mentioned, is the myth of price gouging laws. Uh, so, I mean, you could watch the video. It's on my YouTube. Uh, but in my summary here, so the phrase price gouging, that in of itself is taking an action which is you as an owner of property uh, setting prices accordingly because you own yourself and your property and you should have every right to set prices however you wish. Uh, you're not putting a gun to anyone's head to buy your stuff. And if you acquire that property justly, um, you should be free to set prices as you want. And you mentioned, you know, often price gouging is mentioned for pharmaceutical companies, uh, like what happened to Martin Shkreli, he was demonized <laughs> for just doing what other pharmaceutical executives do. Um, and it's really just the laws that make it so hard to get approval for drugs in the first place is what's really the problem and why you have such a scarcity there uh, of services. And then another time, in addition to that, is usually after natural disasters. Um, you know, like a hurricane that happens a lot in Florida. <laughs> um, and, you know, you'll hear on the news, um, different government talking heads or whatever, uh, just being like, oh, no, there's price gouging happening. And luckily, the governor or the state's going to step in and prevent people from price gouging, right? And by using those phrases of price gouging, it is just demonizing what is a victimless action. Right what people in the market do every day. They set prices uh, based on their view of supply and demand. And uh, where you have more and more competition is how you have better prices. And products. Because <laughs> uh, when the government tries to prevent price gouging, if you will, by price fixing, it creates shortages because you know it, it, it creates a demand too large for the supply and therefore things run out. So it's a, yeah, that's- exactly. the, the free market is a beautiful thing. It is exactly. And when the government comes in and like you said, uh, fixes the prices, we actually lose that rich information that we want in the market from prices on what is the current supply and demand. So if, if government is forcing everybody to uh, not be able to set a price higher than a certain amount, well, entrepreneurs and property owners don't actually, uh, they're not actually able to signal to you the consumers, what is actually going on from a supply and demand standpoint, right? You, for example, if you go to um, a store and, you know, after a disaster, <laughs> I mean, we saw with the lockdowns for some reason, uh, toilet paper <laughs> flying off the shelves, <laughs> what you would want in that case is uh, grocery stores to be allowed to set higher prices right? so that Right. It's signaling to you, oh, suddenly the demand went up. What happened? You know, but instead what you see is uh, governments coming in and saying, oh, you know, you can't set it a, over a certain price. 
And then you have stores trying to do this sort of socialist control here of central planning and being like, okay, you can only have, you know, two bottles of water per customer. But what if you're a large family, all right? Or two pieces of chicken, two pounds of chicken. I mean, you, you saw that a lot in the lockdowns, like right. different uh, preventions of what people could buy. And that's insane. Because imagine you're a family, you're a family of five, you maybe have like three children, you know, you and your husband, you you need more than two pounds of chicken, <laughs> you know, sure. and, and, and uh, needs and our valuation of what we need can be subjective. And so we really should be allowed and given the freedom to decide how much we need, how much we're willing to pay or not. And um, definitely, like you said, Matt, like when government comes in, they're destroying those much needed price signals to understand uh, supply and demand. And, and another reason you'd want to understand is if you were a producer of goods, right? So if you saw that uh, prices were going up for toilet paper, it would signal to you that the supply is going down, but the demand is really high right now. So you might produce more toilet paper, right? But when the government comes in and prevents that, well, no one knows, like, how, how much toilet paper do we need to produce? Do we do we need to kill more chickens this year? I don't, you know, I'm not really a chicken farmer, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're losing that signal from, from a consumer and a producer standpoint of supply and demand. And that's why we need price signals to be free. Right, right, right. No, yeah. that's that's an excellent analysis. And yeah, it's those market signals that really separates, you know, capitalism, voluntary trade from something like socialism that, you know, where there would be a centralized yeah. planning authority. So uh, prices, you know, the price calculation uh, theory and price calculation and prices in general are just so important. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was an excellent uh, analysis. And, you know, oftentimes government intervention is the root cause for not only inflation, but rising prices, you know, and price gouging isn't a result of firms competing in a free and open marketplace. Uh, it's you know usually the result of governments creating artificial scarcities and uh, via taxes, subsidies, regulations and all that stuff. So what they call price gouging is really just a natural mechanism, which kind of actually benefits people and the market. So it's funny that this has been so turned on its head. And you, you mentioned Martin Scarelli there for a, a moment. And I think he yeah, was like right, mm -hmm. the perfect poster boy for vilifying yeah. uh, price gouging, you know, but uh, and he's done his time and he's out now. But if you listen to why he raised the initial price on that drug, it was because he wanted to do more research and development on it. You know, that was the, the reason why he, you know, initially right. raised the price. So I don't think that's unreasonable. He wasn't just trying to pocket a whole bunch of extra money. Right. <laughs> going on vacation and leave. He was actually invested in the pharmaceutical industry and w was actually passionate about it. He exactly right. like listening to views of him. He's like he wanted to actually uh, research more. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange how he went to jail? And all he did was like raise the price of a of a drug that he owned the patent to, and yeah. he had Pfizer and Merck and GlaxoSmithKline. They've literally killed tens of thousands of people with their products, like knowingly killed people. You look at Bayer with their Factor Eight drug, you know, and they knowingly gave HIV to ten thousand children in the United States. And then when the FDA said that you couldn't sell Factor Eight here, they exported the rest of that tainted 
um, hemophiliac medication to other countries and knowingly killed 10,000 more or tens of thousands of more people. And not a single person from any of those places has ever gone to jail. They just pay a little fine and that's it. But Martin Screlly, pharma bro, you know, he he's he spikes a price and and um, and he gets thrown in the fucking cage. It, I think yeah. that's just so crazy. And it speaks to the the level of corruption and, and like and how the government's not really looking out for you at all. You know, they're not when they, when they try to stop price gouging. They're not looking out for you. They're just they're <clears throat> they're controlling the market and, and controlling the special interests that control them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think it speaks also to the nature of government itself, which is at least we're not talking government like, you know, we govern our own bodies, we govern our households and, mm -hmm. and things like that, things we own. We're talking about um, the state. Government is an organized monopoly of violence and just like a mafia. That's just what it is. Uh, the only difference from a mafia is that it has this uh, psychological acceptance in society. Oh, not amongst us. And a lot of people wake it up. <laughs> Uh, but right, we were, most of us were indoctrinated from a very young age. Um, you could say cradle through grave, most people are indoctrinated uh, to obey the state and think that you need a central authority that has more rights and powers than you. And that also has uh, a higher authority over you and your own property and your family uh, than you. Um, and and that's your body. The root <laughs> issue. Exactly. And your consciousness. Um, Right. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, you could see governments as almost like just basically a bunch of human farms. Um, it's just, you know, the farmers are also human and the cattle and the pigs and the cows in this case are also human. Um, and that's really what we have in the world today. And, you know, with what we're really against and trying to stop is a, a new world order, a one world government where they want this human farm to be everywhere and for you to have zero chance to be free. Um, I, I swear you just had a music video about that, didn't you? Recently? <laughs> yeah. I love it, dude. I love that. Oh, yeah, you like it? Oh, it, mm. must, it might be on play. Wow, there's like a sound bar. See if Jack was here, he'd like know which colored button plays the break the break reset song. <laughs> but, oh, we'll uh, have to play it at the end of the podcast. Then I can ooh. I can stream it. I can do that. We can do it for sure. I like that. Oh, idea. That's great. Yeah, that was such a, a fun song to produce, write together with Jack, and uh, to go in the studio and and rap, um, and to make the music video and. Well, we were in hot, hot Tampa. It was like July in Tampa. And I don't know, that was kind of a bad idea. But it also led to a really good video because I am chasing Klaus Schwab. Um, so I guess it makes sense that I'm sweating. <laughs> it just doesn't look as good. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I'm glad that we uh, we just got our daily dose of economics, you know, for all of our listeners. You know, I, I think that's important. In fact, I want to talk about economics more in this podcast. I, I know it's not everybody's you know favorite subject, but maybe we'll start our shows with a little economics each show. I don't know, but um, let, yeah, let, let's uh, move on here. I know we were just talking about videos and uh, you know your music video. And speaking of music videos, uh, recently the alternative rapper Tom McDonald uh, had a prominent conservative commentator who I'm sure you guys are familiar with Ben Shapiro on a, a music yeah, that's, on a, that's yeah. a fact Jason, like you just <laughs> so, so they did a music video together um, and some of you might not know who Tom McDonald is either I mean he's this 
I guess he's relatively large now, um, alternative rapper slash musician. Yeah. Uh, I think um, he said he's like the most successful independent rapper. And, and I believe it because he everything he does, he works with his wife to make their own songs and music videos. Um, he, he's actually someone I, uh, you know, inspires me and, and Jack because we are trying to make music and music videos, too. Sure. Um, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel the same way. I love Tom McDonald, except this move for, to partner with Ben Shapiro, like a Zionist who's calling for the, you know, the, the genocide in Palestine is uh, who's like supporting it is just it's so weird. It's like a, I, I did not see those two people coming together, you nah. know, and yeah. it and it and it hurts me because like, I, I, you know, it, it kind of steals some credibility, in my opinion from Tom McDonald. And I'm like, why dude? I mean, not Ben Shapiro on his, you know, on a multiple fronts is a really intelligent person. And, um, I mean, I would hate to debate him because he's like, you know, he can make the point for so many great points and, and he owns those points. Um, (laughs) but yeah, facts. (laughs) It's just so strange. These two partnering, especially at this time when there's this war going on in, in Israel and Gaza, and, uh, you know, and, and you have a, a Zionist like Ben Shapiro coming in and, and, and saying all these things. It's so weird. I saw a tweet from Ben Shapiro like two years ago that he said rap music is not rap music, something right. like that. It's like or it's not even music. And, yeah. and then like, to now that. he's making it right. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's what I wanted to actually ask you guys, because, you know, the whole thing seems a bit odd to me. Right. And of course, you know, it, it's named facts, which to me is pretty cheesy, you know, but um, it's got a, a lot of pushback by both the Liberty Movement and the right who are dogging it, even though it apparently went number one on iTunes charts. Um, but to me, it feels like it's kind of like this mutually opportunistic moment for both of these guys who likely agreed to pair up for this to kind of bolster their own social media followings. I mean, I can't really think of another reason why Ben Shapiro would participate in something like this. Uh, of course, yeah. you know, that's my thoughts too. He has his own like <laughs> substantial media empire, you know, I mean, like the daily wire, mm-hmm. like that's significant, you know, but I was thinking maybe it's, you know, to save face a little bit after the whole like babe, burnt baby corpse AI image debacle thing. But like, yeah, what are your guys thoughts on his motivation to participate in this? Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I saw that tweet. Uh, I actually responded to it before, uh, basically calling Ben a rap grifter because uh, a couple <laughs> years ago, he said, uh, rap isn't music and anyone who thinks so is he either said stupid or an idiot. Like, yeah, he said stupid. Synonyms. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, uh, you know, Tom's great. That That's different. Tom is actually the song itself sounds really good. And of course, it was a good move to open it with Tom. <laughs> an actually yeah. good rapper who flows well sure. and then all of a sudden you hear tom going what would ben do i haven't i haven't listened to it yet so there's one part that gets stuck in my head which is just what would ben do and I'm like, <laughs> who says who says that in their head like i get it what would jesus do okay but like what would Ben uh, do? Okay, I, I see the reference now. Ooh, God, that's even more cringe. <laughs> that's even more cringe, right? Because that's like usually used for Jesus and God. So anyway, um, but yeah, I do agree with your analysis there, Jason. That I mean, Ben already has his own media empire, and partially that's why I think it went so viral. You know, if you have a huge multi-billion-dollar uh, corporation to tap into and boost the songs, well, yeah, I'm not surprised you get to number one. 
uh, but don't pretend that you're actually good at rapping yeah because uh, you're not i mean tom is really <laughs> good uh, so that's cool and you know just as an aside i guess the message of the song itself you know it's the you know the the sort of basic you know anti-social justice anti-third wave feminist messages right we see that's kind of become mainstream in and of itself in a way, right? It used to be the alternative view, but now it's pretty mainstream to say, yeah, there's only two genders, a man and a woman, <laughs> you know, they is a collective. Anyway, um, so that's more the focus of the song. Like it didn't really have a specific liberty message from what I remember. It was more just focused on like, you know, okay, Lizzo's fat, okay, cool. yeah. all right. Said that many times got it and you know there's only one man and one woman so it wasn't really hard hitting in terms of liberty or waking anyone up um from just a, a musical subjective standpoint i thought it sounded good before it turned into what would man do good in the beginning and then <laughs> it, it certainly helps that mcdonald has such a large following i, I don't think i've seen any yeah. of his videos really get like under a million views which is you know yeah absolutely yeah. impressive like he can't right. can't hate on success you know like he's doing something right um exactly yeah and uh, but, uh both of them are not i would they're not volunteers by any means i would no. i would definitely put them in the right conservative like uh right category we still need government police is good military is good yeah kind of I, was, I was about yeah. to touch on that because i just brought up the lyrics and one of the lines was mm -hmm. like you defunded the police now there's no one to protect you and it's like oh god <laughs> like yeah are you kidding me <laughs> like, like, right you ever hear about self-defense or having your own guns yeah but maybe he does it because he has like what are his daily wire guards i don't know right well <laughs> yeah you, you gotta to have private security <laughs> got to extend that logical consistency a little bit further there past your indoctrination you know and maybe then we'll be able to take you seriously but i think yeah. i think you touched on something there and i think i think you're right i think there is an element of this that touches upon kind of this mainstream alternative viewpoint which the the right and conservatives have really kind of corralled and exploited i guess to a certain extent so it's uh it's yeah. interesting that you know, this is becoming almost mainstream in a, in a way. And, and I hesitate to say that. And I know I just mentioned it's alternative and mainstream, but because it's kind right. of a little bit of both, you know, at this point, and, and maybe in a few years, this will be more of the prominent mainstream perspective on things. And, you know, it, it seems like, you know, especially seeing that it's number one on iTunes charts, like there already is a big demand for this type of music. So, uh, it, it's interesting to see where this is going to go and how much more art is going to be kind of content marketed towards the right in this sense. So I guess we'll have to uh, just wait this one out and ride the wave and, and see where it takes us. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would I would suggest, you know, we need more uh, philosophically consistent anarchists and libertarians to hopefully kind of take the reins from some of these guys. And, you know, why not? why not go the full way? You know why? I mean, at this point, you know, we're, we're kind of championing these, these minarchs, minarchists, these, you know, these right wingers who want limited government, but I think it's just a matter of time. And, and hopefully it's just a matter of time until our perspective becomes more of the, the prominent and, you know, more of the mainstream uh, version of, of reality, but you know, yeah, definitely. That's the goal. Right, right. And, and speaking of which, you know, I, I know Javier Malay, you know, I mean, he could be the catalyst that kind of 
ushers in some of this and maybe not necessarily the one who pushes it fully into the mainstream, but he's kind of broke into the mainstream himself, you know, and since mid-November when- as a self-identified anarcho-capitalist too, which- right, right. Has been demonized in the mainstream media here in the States. Right, yeah, exactly. Well, he won in a landslide election, you know, and I've been kind of sharing my excitement about his presidency, which is kind of odd for me, you know, because- a, I don't get excited about politicians, and B, I don't really care what they ever have to say. Yeah, so, <laughs> right, right. But this case, it seems to be quite different in his stature and his ideological background, you know, where no other politicians we've really seen on the world stage, maybe besides, you know, Ron Paul has, has really aligned like this. Now, I've also noticed that you and Jack are posting a bunch about him, and, you know, rightfully so. I, I think many of us are excited about his potential prospects. And um, he's proven to, you know, so far be the real deal by living up to his campaign promises. Uh, I know some people were a bit thrown off by him speaking at the World Economic Forum. And initially, I was too, you know, I was a little skeptical of it. But like, how much skepticism do you think should be reserved for like what he's doing? I I mean, we want to celebrate, you know, this self-proclaimed anarcho-capitalist as a president, of a large country, but at the same time, like if he doesn't turn out to be this person that we want him to be, and he's just another self-centered politician saying the right things to get elected, I mean, that could kind of diminish our credibility and reputation as libertarians, right? So how do we find the balance there? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, you know, we can't control what he as a person does once now that he's in power. Uh, we can only just focus on what he's actually said and also done um, now that he's in there. And what I think is more important is that he's bringing these ideas of anarcho-capitalism to the world stage and to people who may have never even heard the term anarcho-capitalist or libertarian. Um, And he's, you know, basically going up against the World Economic Forum in that way. uh, Where, you know, you had Klaus Schwab recently calling out libertarians as being um, you know, anti-system in terms of trying to say we're we're just for pure chaos and no rules, which is completely untrue. Uh, we want ethics. We want ethics universalized, and that's it. And so to have, you know, that sort of uh, counter voice is great, and we still have more work to do to um, help people understand the culture. For all these people who are hearing about libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism for the first time, uh, you know, we it's another opportunity to be the ones to give them that principled message in other forms so that when people fail or a person fails. Right. Um, it's the ideas that that continue and the, the message of liberty that hangs on, uh, regardless if somebody, you know, uh, used it to get into power. And yeah. you know, we, we, we thought we believed them because we just watched what they said and what they did and did the best we could there, <laughs> you know, we can't control somebody. Um, so yeah, I think it's just kind of like the music video <laughs> facts by Ben and Tom McDonald. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to have a discourse and to be like, what is rap music? Uh, how do you have a principled message? And what are the things that they are saying that you could respond to? I think it's just part of continuing the discourse of what Liberty is and how we can be principled. Um, so I, I see it as a good, you know, opportunity. And um, I think that if he did, you know, 
go back on his promises or something like that. Um, you know, it's it's not really the fault of the American capitalists who are rooting him on, uh, or even the people in Argentina who voted him into power. It, the fault is his. It means he lied. You don't blame the person, the victims, the people that he lied to. You blame the liar. Mm. And uh, it's it's it would only be a testament to how much the people who voted for him truly want anarcho-capitalism and libertarianism. And it makes sense for Argentinians. They, what does he say at the World Economic Forum? Like it's it's been like over a hundred years in the making. This this landslide victory of an anarcho capitalist as president. I mean, they've suffered under so much pain, hyperinflation. I mean, for us libertarians in the states, we're celebrating. We're like woo woo, egg have message. But you got to remember the people who are voting him in, they're so desperate for change. They want to be free. They're so tired of being poor and having their money devalued and prices fixed and all this and socialism and communism. Like this is coming out of uh, tremendous pain and suffering. So I just um, see that as an opportunity to connect with those people. And I have like Jack and I have a lot of Argentinians following us. and a, a few years ago as well, you had a huge surge as well of anarcho-capitalism in Brazil because Brazil was also facing these issues of um, too much central plan- planning and socialism and government corruption. Right. Uh, so I just see this as great opportunities to connect with more people over the principles of liberty and to have that discourse and say, yeah, why did you vote for an ANCAP president? Right, because you're so tired of central planning. You're so tired of government intruding on your lives. And so that's what matters. I, and But I, I got, have to admit that I was one of the people that was caught up in the beginning when he started, um, you know, right after his election, when he's making all these plans and he's, uh, you know, right right when the conflict in Israel broke out and he, and he puts a yarmulke on and goes over there and then he, uh, then he comes back over to the United States and he, he has lunch with with Joe Biden and, uh, you know, and then Bill Clinton. And and I'm, you know, I, like I, I guess, you know, I, I was able to look past that because I also bitched about him going to WF. But then I listened to what he said at the WF, as you had just mentioned, you know, he he called him out like he was he was presenting a message of freedom and liberty and anarcho capitalism in the belly of the beast. So uh i've sensed you know i've stopped giving him such a hard time for that and like you i'm gonna give him you know give him a chance and see make sure that um he does try to stay on task and and uh you know stay true to what he the, this whole campaign that he's run on and so far so good you know he went back to the wef again and did the same thing and i, I can't believe they had him back again but i mean they did and and he did it again so uh i yeah. mean yeah he's he's and he's a lot younger than ron paul the only thing I wish that he was uh, better at English <laughs> and, and, and more Americans could hear what he had to say, you know? Yeah, Matt, but that mop he has on his head, man. Come on. Yeah. It's like from the 70s. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's almost like it never changed or something. He's had that hair. For- Don't they call him like the rug or something like that? They like, have some nickname for his hair. I can't remember what it is. Let me see if I could Google it really quick. But <laughs> yeah. No, I, I wish too bad he spoke English. Although, um, have you ever seen like AI translations of his speeches? It's actually pretty good. Like it, it sounds like he's actually speaking in English. So it's quite incredible the the AI technology we have now. They, no, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, the, uh, someone AI translated his WEF speech. 
Um, and yeah, it just literally sounds like him. Yeah, his voice speaking English. Oh. That nickname for his eccentric hair is the wig, by the way. I just want to oh. <laughs> crack that on record here, guys. It looks like the wig, but it, I <laughs> it guess does. it's not. <laughs> he needs to do a song with Don McDonald. Can you imagine? What would Javier do? What would Javier do? Like we should hit him up because that because we're actually a caps. <laughs> I don't know if you want to. I know. I think he'd be too too much for Tom McDonald and Ben. Actually, he'd be too radical. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, but I wanted to. But like we moved on from Tom McDonald. I just wanted to say something about him and um. And like Jason was pontificating on, they were kind of borderline mainstream, borderline alternative, but they, right. Tom McDonald, like he, he was, he totally came up grassroots, right? Like his music just resonated on social media and that's how he became yep. like this, this star. And, um, there's a, there's a massive movement out there. Of people like that, that, uh, like rappers and, um, uh, and performance artists, like there's, uh, this guy Dax who, uh, I, I heard on TikTok and he raps about like, quitting drinking and you know being a good dad it's like it's 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 this whole huh. new genre of like rap that or and and hip-hop that's like doing good and um and that you know i i think that that's and, and the fact that it's taken off that actually dax and tom mcdonald have multiple collaborations together and um they're not like praising trump or anything like that but <laughs> they did one about like uh race wars and how we're you know how america's being pushed into this black and white uh divide and and they they it was a very moving song and um oh that might have been the one where they're like in a room together almost looks like an interrogation room right it's uh i don't think so i think they were like out in front of a trailer or something and oh, they okay. uh, there was another guy in there too um uh, that did the the music uh adam calhoun i think his name was uh yeah it was called black and white was the name of the song and it's like you hear it and it's like super controversial but what they're like because they're both screaming black and white to each other and and uh but the whole message of the song is that you know it's come together not tear us apart so uh, I, I love that. And that's, that's the, that's why Tom McDonald kind of resonates with me because the overwhelming majority of his message is that, you know, it's like live and let live, except that whole leaning to the, this conservative base, you know, talking about what are the cops yeah. going to do? Yeah. Or, you know, like, what are you going to do without cops? Like that's, you know, he'll get over that. Maybe he was like us, you know, 15 years ago, <laughs> just waking up, you know, as a, as a, as a new conservative or something like that. And, you know, waking up to the government corruption and maybe he'll, come around and wake millions of his listeners and followers up. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think there is a pipeline <laughs> from conservative mm -hmm. to libertarian. <laughs> well, there is that theory, you know, that gangster rap was a, a psyop that was, you know, placed upon us socially uh, and culturally and, you know, the, the late eighties and early nineties. And I, God, I, I hard to argue against that in many ways, you know, although, I don't know if you know NWA is taking government money to to talk about gangster rap necessarily, you know. But I mean, I would agree in that it was co-opted, but I think yeah. the origins of rap and hip hop were definitely liberty and like leave me alone, self empowerment. Um, you know, uh, stay out the hood. The police are literally coming in and taking my brothers away and putting them in jail, and that's the music I grew up on. Right, um, right, right. Like you, you mentioned NWA, Dead Prez, uh, their song Hip Hop, it's bigger than hip hop. 
Uh, so I do wonder, you know, Matt, when you were saying that about Tom and uh, the other guy you had mentioned you found on TikTok. Yeah, I wonder if they're like millennials who grew up just like me on hip hop music and that original, you know, self-empowering, you know, like F authority kind of attitude, um, sure. you know, and then they just finally have the means now to make their own music and, and give yeah, Isn't that crazy how the counterculture is now like be back. good and be healthy? I think rap was just corporatized um, and, and taken over by, yeah, certain really bad actors. Um, and then there's questions about like, was Tupac murdered? You know, or was that, you know, I mean, he was murdered, but was that murder orchestrated by, um, you know, un unseen actors who actually didn't like that he was making an album called Kaluminati, you know, for example. Um, sure. And, and for me, like seeing that culture between uh, Tupac and Biggie, I mean, you had Biggie representing the East Coast, Tupac representing the West. And trying to, in my opinion, they were bridging a lot of the violence that you saw and the beef between East and West Coast, Crips and Bloods, you know, the North versus the South. Like that was where hip hop was heading, building this culture of love until it so opted to be about, oh, let's have casual sex with whoever, cheat on your your boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, drink till your your brains fall out or whatever like right. all this was disrespect late. women and you know yeah. like yeah go all materialistic and right yeah well i think it, it should be noted i think anybody who's listening probably already understands but yeah there there was like a, a period of like the golden hip-hop age but then yeah like i mentioned somewhere around like the early 90s like gangster rap really started to take off and it became more mainstream and it's kind of like this cultural I don't know, cultural moment, I guess, where, um, yeah, even, you know, the youth, the youth was really idolizing it. And it seemed like probably because the sensationalistic aspects of things like dealing drugs and drinking until you black out. And then that kind of escalated into like the, you know, early 2000s rap, uh, mixing your, your cough syrup with your alcohol and like all that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, I, I too, f f I was also a big hip hop head back in the day. Um, so it's been very interesting to see where it's all kind of gone. And I, I agree with Matt. It does seem like there is this kind of surgent, this, I wouldn't say resurgence, but this surge of, uh, yeah, kind of like, I don't know, more of like a holistic type of approach to like rap, you know, where it's like we could talk about the positive things and not having to like succumb to addiction and we don't have to treat women like terribly and all these things. So hopefully it does head more in that direction. I don't know if it's necessarily mainstream right now. I, I'd say there's a, a small but a growing demographic that does appreciate that stuff. But I still think the mainstream is still kind of dictated by like the, the mainstream, you know, rap artists uh, of today. Um, yeah. But uh, speaking of, you know, rappers and um, some of these alternative rappers, I guess I don't even know what they're really labeled as or called, but uh, obviously a lot of people dislike Ben Shapiro uh, simply because, you know, his strong stance on Israel. But um, you recently retweeted a tweet from High Res, the rapper, uh, that said, you know, I was on board with hating Soros and Rothschild. But a lot, a lot of y'all took the baton and ran with all Jews are bad. And that's when I get off the train. Uh, that's, my, <laughs> right. that's my stop. And you replied in a retweet, you know, collectivism, which is racism, is a form of cancer. 
Um, so yeah, I kind of want to like talk about this because it seems like a lot of like, there's a whole element of the Liberty oh, movement. Just let me clarify there. I, I said, uh, collectivism, which racism is a form of, so racism is a form of collectivism. Uh, collectivism is cancer. Yeah. Sorry if I butchered that. Um, no, you're good. just want to clarify. <laughs> right, right. So there seems like there is like this whole element of the liberty movement that's pretty much gone like full Kanye. And it's like all about, quote, the <laughs> Jews, you know, and they can't seem to separate their hatred for Zionism with the religion of Judaism, you know. So um, can we talk about this a little bit and like why this all Jews are bad theory kind of falls flat? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess one empirical evidence is you have a lot of anarcho-capitalist libertarians that are or were jewish uh were as in they they've passed they died um so like ayn rand rothbard mises these are all people who are completely against coercion and, and violence although ayn rand was like a minarchist and you know she had her own thing there but you know like that's already your empirical evidence there are literally jews today and of past that want liberty and so it's, you can't say all Jews already. Um, so what you are talking about is, okay, if you look at certain places, there might be a significant number of Jews, yeah. but how does that suddenly turn into all Jews are bad? And now you're no longer being philosophical. And now you're making blanket statements about people and collectivizing them. Right. And getting away from reality which is there are certain actors and some of them are Jews uh, that are very violent and they want a new world order. <laughs> but there are also plenty of Jews that don't want a new world order and want freedom and liberty. It kind of just boils down to being intellectually lazy, you think? I think it comes down to wanting a scapegoat, like an answer. Wow, oh, this is it. The scapegoat, the yep. thing I can put all my energy in and control for instead of having self-ownership and self-mastery and being like, oh, what can I do to actually prevent the new world order? Oh, instead, let me call for violence against the entire race of people. It's just, you know, it's just the desire to have a scapegoat and yeah. not actually look at oneself and one's responsibility of what they can actually do. Um, just like, oh, you know, if Javier fails, then see, ANCAP's you know, it doesn't work. But what is that person actually doing in reality? That person's just complaining. What are they doing to get into power and try to put anarcho-capitalist ideas on the world stage, this beautiful message of liberty? Nothing. They're just complaining and, and shitting on others and shaming them and putting them down. Yeah, good yeah. answer. It's a shame. Like, it's, it's mind-blowing how people can do that and they can dehumanize and put entire populations of people into certain camps like yeah. because of collectivism. Right. And it, it goes both ways, too. You have the you know, you have the conservative side that that was kind of opening up. And then as soon as, uh, you know, the Israel and Gaza broke out, they they were back to, you know, turn it into a parking lot. Like <laughs> I, I, Alex Jones literally said that he said, we need to carpet bomb Gaza and kill everybody, you know, like like wipe it all out and start over. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? You used to be completely against all that. And, and, and a few years ago, we were so against the lockdowns and we we're rooting for Hong Kong independence against the Chinese Communist Party, right? Chinese government's trying to take over Hong Kong, uh, the, the least British status lease on Hong Kong's ending. And 
people in Hong Kong are literally fighting for their independence. And that was like actually making world news. Oh, but then all of a sudden a virus gets released in China. And then you did actually have a lot of racism against Chinese people. Uh, like I faced it myself. I like we were walking down the street uh, one one time in uh, St. Pete and <laughs> uh, we got, you know, just so the this um, it seemed like a gay couple, like a guy, two guys whatever it is not all gays but they were just walking by and then uh they looked at my husband you know no change in their faces i was just looking at them and then when they saw me they immediately pulled up their shirt and covered their nose what? as they walked by and i've also had that when i went to a grocery store like got to the end the uh the end of the line and the the person bagging for the cashier did the same thing to me and gave me like a weird look um so you know collectivism is cancer <laughs> and it can take root just like that and uh those same conservatives who are making fun of quote npcs for shifting their focus and having a short memory span when okay pray for ukraine time okay get one or two or five shots time for covid um you know wear your mask like those same people had the same lack of uh, memory when it comes to what's happening in Israel. Now, suddenly that's the thing. And that's the reason, you know, things are bad. And it, it's, it's just the Jews and um, the Israeli government is uh, the only bad actor on the world stage and influencing everybody when it's like, no, you have the CCP, which I would argue is larger <laughs> than the Israeli government in some in some ways in terms of reach and territory um they also have like you know secret ccp people coming into like new york and cali and watching things um and they're also in africa trying to build things too like you literally have uh, governments everywhere trying to take control and have world domination um so to just look at you know jews is, is silly and and is um, you know, not looking at the actual actors and, and what they're doing. And uh, that's the disservice it does when you collectivize. You now are no longer talking about reality. And then we can't actually pinpoint where the problem is. What is the root cause? Who are the root cause? You know, if you collectivize everyone, then you're actually now shooting in the dark. And don't know who to actually um, go after. Well, uh, we can't forget about that Chinese spy balloon when we talk about world domination, too. You know, that was certainly daunting and threatening. But um, I actually have a little bit of a challenge for you with this next one, because uh, we're, we're talking about collectivism now. So um, and, you know, I love philosophy. I love like getting into these deep conversations. Um, so I told uh, I told a leftist friend of mine I was going to be interviewing today. And uh, she's been a little critical of the online group that your husband, Jack, made called Libertarian Guys with Asian Wives. And <laughs> of course, you know, she was disgusted with me, like, you know, a good socially woke leftist that she is. And uh, after some dialogue back and forth, she presented a question for me to ask you, which I, I think is okay. fair, although maybe not entirely important to me personally. But her question was, and you know, prepare yourself. It's a bit of a mouthful here. How do you address concerns that focus on the ethnicity of spouses within the group may contribute to fetishization, potentially objectifying individuals based upon their racial or ethnic background rather than recognizing their unique qualities and personalities? 
Um, I would say that one, I mean, it's more just like racial stereotypes and which is not the same as racism. Uh, so it's literally a satire joke page and that's how it started. <laughs> right. Um, because we had these moments in our lives where, for example, I like make fish sauce to dip my uh, goikung in my, my spring rolls, Vietnamese spring rolls. And he won't touch it because it's just, it's just fish sauce. So abhorrent. And it's just like a funny place to make memes about that experience of being a libertarian guy with an Asian wife. Um, so it was more just like a joke. And so it's benign and right. subjective. And then my second point is everyone objectifies. If you're looking for a sexual partner, you are going to objectify. Mm. And every single person has their own preferences. Do you not like a man who's clean? Uh, you might have a preference for certain colored eyes, um, you know, certain looks, certain aesthetics, certain ways of dressing, certain ways of talking, how someone sounds, certain accents. I mean, that's all your own subjective valuation of what you like and would want in a romantic partner. Um, so that's just saying the objectification is here and it happens regardless. Right. Um, us making a satire joke page is like, it's, it's just that <laughs> you can't sit on your own and find a partner um, who doesn't just purely objectify you. That's on you. <laughs> um, and I can say for sure as a, the last point is my husband does not just see me as an Asian girl. <laughs> Yeah. When we met, <laughs> like it was actually what we talked about. He was single for some time and he was trying to stay single so that he could just stay focused. And he was actually not actively not seeking a partner. But when we started talking, he enjoyed our conversations. Uh, it was it was about philosophy and virtue that attracted us to each other. The icing on the top is just that I find him really hot. <laughs> you know, and I, I enjoy his aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Well, yeah, Jack is a great guy and I would assume a great catch as well. And uh, for the record, you know, I don't have like a, a huge group of lefty friends. I have maybe one or two. And, you know, I like to, to have some friends that have different perspectives on things. So I think hey, questions like yeah. this isn't a bad thing. You know, I like to kind of test the waters. I kind of like to test my own understanding and, and philosophy and intellectual consistency and all that stuff. So if I could put in my two cents, though, you know, I, I do yeah. think the question does have some substance, but it's couched in this like leftist terminology and these objective assumptions that, and that's the part that kind of bothers me as an individualist. Um, so yeah, it's collectivist. It's like saying suddenly we're responsible and then you're making what we're doing, which is a benign action, making jokes about a joke. Yeah. Right. It's lighthearted and playful. It's like price gouging, right? Suddenly, what I'm doing is evil. Oh, but it's literally the same victimless action that you're okay with in other contexts. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, I, I do have sympathy for that question, right? It comes from, hey, she doesn't want to be objectified, right? right? She right. wants to find a romantic partner that doesn't objectify her. So instead of focusing on this rando meme page that has like 10K followers, okay, uh, what are you doing to actually find a partner who won't just objectify you, who sees you and and values your virtue. Do you even have virtue? That's a question. Um, are you yourself loyal and committed or are you into casual sex and open relationships, right? Are you into polyamorous relationships or monogamous ones? I mean, 
it's just that's more the greater question and it kind of brings back into previous themes that we brought up in this call of uh, self-ownership individualism and self-mastery instead of focusing so hard to control others and i believe that when people don't have self-mastery down they get stuck in this psychosis of trying to control others and that's why we have the governments we have today mm. all these politicians these busy bodies I mean, what? How many politicians you find out later? There, there's some scandal, right? Oh, I'm married. I'm I'm the statesman. I've been a a, a rep for however many years and whatever. Uh, but then you find the like they just had like a gay hooker, you know, found in a hotel with a gay hooker snorting cocaine, whatever. <laughs> how many politicians? <laughs> yeah, these are people that do not have themselves mastered. So yeah. instead, they seek to control others and blame others and say others are the problem. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I, I would suggest that these types of differences are, you know, that people can fetishize are exactly what make us different and makes people wonderful. And I don't necessarily yeah. automatically chalk that up to like this net negative in society like the left right. does, you know, and I think it's more complex than that. And as we know from, you know, our understanding of Austrian economics, like value is subjective. So right. as, as long as at the end of the day, no one's being harmed, their property isn't being harmed, no one's being coerced. Right, no consent is being violated. Right, right? No yeah. No one's being coerced. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of irrelevant to me. So I, I appreciate you diving into that philosophy, and I thought it could be an interesting question to explore. So Definitely, yeah. And, and th thanks for the question um, to your friend. That's a great question. And uh, again, I have that sympathy for understanding I have that same need. I don't want a partner who just objectifies me. Um, you know, but as I said, I found one that doesn't. <laughs> sure. Um, well, so. we're getting low on time here, but I did want to talk about your yeah. new book that you and Jack just released called The Homeschooling Adventures of Jack and Fa. And before. Oh, the Sorry. <laughs> oh, the unschooling. Okay. I got that wrong. Oh, so close. That's, uh, that's probably even better, actually. <laughs> Um, yeah, I probably just read that wrong. My apologies. But, you know, I also, before I let you get into that, I just want to make a, another pitch. I know we talked about this almost this time last year when we had Larkin Rose on the podcast, but we finally, just as of last week, got our book in our hands, or at least I got it in my hands. I don't think Matt still <laughs> received the copy yet. So I did. I finally got it. I did. You I did. finally got it. Okay, great. So uh, we had a friend of a friend who helped us with publishing. And although she's a nice woman, it took forever <laughs> to get it done. And uh, we, so I think it's been something like what, Matt, like two years now that we've been working on ours, if not longer. So yeah, I think it's okay. longer than that. <laughs> ours is finally done. And I will start promoting that nice. soon, guys. You could go to littlefreethinkers.com for that. Uh, the, the, the link at the very bottom and also give some information about the book. It, it's The book is called Know Your Rights. Um, so we're, we're basically just trying to teach uh, children from 8 to 12 uh, their rights from more of like an anarchist perspective, kind of like the Tuttle Twins, but a little less right-leaning, a little less conservative, a little more libertarian, a little more anarchist. So definitely check that out, guys. But please, 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 that's enough about us. Go ahead and tell us about your guys' new book. Oh, yeah, I love that. And I'm definitely uh, going to pick that up. Uh, it, you said it's available now? It, it's in your hands? Or like, can people Indeed. purchase it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go to littlefreethinkers.com and uh, order it there and it'll be sent out immediately. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, but yeah, so uh, it also took us like 
a year and change. The artist we were working with, great person too. <laughs> but yeah, it just took some time. <laughs> we had some reminders, but um, it we finally got it after a year and a half of uh, drawing uh, this thing out. But it's, I mean, let me just pick it up here. Oh, there's no page numbers. It was like 30, 28 pages or something like that. It's quite long. Um, it's called The Unschooled Adventures of Jack and Fa. And uh, we also are gearing the the audience that we're gearing towards, at least like from how we wrote it, is to be read by, you know, ages 9 to 12, not 8 to 13. Um, just more in that, like, you know, older kid, um, young, like early adolescent stage where you're just kind of starting to develop your own identity, really, when you when you turn 12. Um, that's kind of when you start being like, OK, you know, what is it outside just my parents and my home? Um, so this book is trying to uh, give people an idea of uh, what it looks like to be free to learn. Um, and this particular uh, school um, or self-directed learning center is what it's called, uh, is modeled after a real school um, called Sudbur Sudbury Valley School. And it's this model where uh, kids, they come in, uh, there are adults, there are specialists in different areas, uh, and they're available to uh, help guide children and also um, with conflict resolution between kids. Mm. Um, but otherwise, kids are totally free to explore and learn uh, and, and follow what they're actually interested in. Uh, so the goal is to just, you know, even though it's geared towards the reading uh, age of nine to 13 and that reading level. Um, it's, it is for, you know, parents as well, or any adults who want to become parents or, you know, aunts and uncles, people who have kids in their lives, uh, to understand what does that mean to be really truly free to learn and instead of controlled and, uh, forced, uh, to, uh, learn certain things when you're not actually interested. <laughs> Gosh. So yeah, what the book is about. Yeah. Could you imagine if that just that simple shift in society occurred like 50 years ago where like kids weren't forced to like learn about certain mandated topics and just bored out of their minds? Like life would be so much different, right? We'd now. have flying cars and no wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd have so many more specialists and you'd have a lot less people who uh, are just like allergic to learning now. Like they're yeah. sick of learning because they're they're taught that learning means you're in a classroom and someone's telling you what to do. Yeah. You know, like that's their association. Yeah. I myself had to deprogram when I uh, dropped out of college um, and to be like, okay, what does it mean to self-direct my own learning and and not like go to someone to tell me what to do and just take tests? Like what is it like to actually go out in the market and try to provide value uh, and, and teach myself skills as I go, um, depending on the actual needs of my customers. Um, and I, I'm a software engineer now, so that's what I mean by customers. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that's what the book is about. And, uh, right now you can get on Amazon, but we do have a campaign going. It's for the next, um, I guess 20 days. Uh, and yeah, it's on Indiegogo and you can just go to igg.me slash at slash unschooled and i'll take you right to the campaign 
if I could uh, add one caveat too, um, from the best of my knowledge, uh, Jack, yeah. your husband also has worked with kids and educating kids uh, for years now. In fact, he has that other page, an account called Honest Teacher. So this is something yeah. that's totally in his wheelhouse, guys. So definitely check that out. I also saw that you and Jack just landed your first offer to do a meet and greet uh, at a and a book signing at a comic bookstore. So congrats oh, on that. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers, and as always, thank you for listening. Well, we are pretty close to the end here, so if you don't mind, uh, I, I, I would try to do it myself, but I feel like there's just too much to list. So if you want to go ahead and plug or tell people where they could find you, um, feel free to go ahead and do that. Okay, thanks. Um, so you can just go to my website, thephilosopher.com. That's P-H-O philosopher.com. And you'll find links to my Instagram, Minds, uh, X, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Facebook, so all the places. So that's where you can learn about me more and our books and everything from there. And if you want to know my husband and what he does, you can go to jackvloyd.com. That's Jack and then V as in voluntarious and then two L's for Lloyd.com. Excellent. Thanks, Jason and Matt, for having me on. Yeah. Matt, <laughs> do you have anything else? No, man, it was great. Those links that she mentioned will be down in the below. If you want to find her husband, too, you can just scroll back through our archives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, I think we have. Uh, yeah, no, man, this was a great conversation. I, I really appreciate you coming on, Fa. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us and definitely a fun conversation. You're quite the warrior for liberty. And, um, <laughs> you know, tell Jack we said hi, of course. I really hope that you two make it to your 67th wedding anniversary like Ron and Carol Paul did. I know. They just celebrated yeah. their anniversary. And you guys are probably my my favorite Liberty couple. You know, you guys are quite the <laughs> dynamic duo. So have fun oh, at uh, MegaCon Orlando. Tell Eric July we said hi. And uh, thanks okay. for coming on the show. I will. I will. I'll tell him that. Jason and Matt said hi from Free Thought Project. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And the censorship. You are not alone. We will rise. This is a Von Vitti production. Whether you're in the US, the UK, New Zealand, Canada, China, Brazil, Germany, or Japan, worldwide, we will win. World Economic Forum, Great Reset. Nothing great about these guys on a quest of theft. Wanna put you in a pod, make you starve to death. Turn your children into slaves and exploit what's left. Klaus Schwab, Goon Squad, black robes and crests. Illuminati concepts, new world order chess. You're the carbon they wanna reduce. Sterilize the masculator so you can't reproduce.
deuce, uh I will not go along with the great reset I will do my very best to resist I will not eat the bugs I will not own nothing I will not bow down to their evilness I will not go along with the great reset I will do my very best to resist I will not eat the bugs I will not own nothing I will not bow down to their evilness King Charles coming with the green recovery Except the only green they want is a CBDC, central bank digital currency. I spy where to control every transaction scene. Agenda 2030, nobody's free. Trudeau, Bill Gates, United Nations tag team. Social credit system, neo-feudal slavery. Refuse to get the shot, flag force quarantine. I will not go along with the great reset. I will do my very best to resist. I will not eat the bugs. I will not own nothing. I will not bow down to their evilness. I will not go along with the great reset. I will do my very best to resist. I will not eat the bugs. I will not own nothing. I will not bow down to their evilness. We're working harder and harder to outsmart the state. Parallel economy, a change of fate. Fourth industrial rev, the plan to take. Every liberty left, your life enslaved. Cut through Malthusian lies, learn the truth. They creating scarcity, banning fossil fuels. So don't give an inch, my precious jewel. Break the great re-